before we even kick off the podcast, I just want to remind everyone to go like, subscribe, and keep up with these weekly episodes. If you like what you hear, spread the word so more coaches can tune in for our weekly podcasts. Morning, guys. Today, I have got Coach Travis McLean. Coach McLean was a former uh, football player at Baylor, uh, where he walked on and played wide receiver for Coach Art Browse between 2007 and 2011. Uh, after that, he spent some time at Tarleton State, uh, and then he was hired at Salina High School in 2015 as the receivers coach before moving to quarterbacks coach in 2016. And then this past uh, 2020 season, spent his first season as the offensive coordinator. Uh, so Coach McLean, welcome. Hope, hope you're doing well with the weather and uh, glad to have you on today. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're fighting to stay warm up here, but, but all is good on our end. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, you know, first question I've got for you, and this is one I've asked, uh, asked everybody, but talk to me a little bit about um, how the offensive line played a part in some of the really successful teams you've been a part of as a, as a coach and as a player. So um, from, from a player standpoint, um, I'll say that, you know, in high school, definitely undervalued the position. Um, but when Coach Browse got to Baylor, um, it was it was quickly impressed upon us that the success of our offense and therefore our team was going to be predicated on on having a good and eventually dominant offensive line. And a lot of the things that were able to happen in 2010, 2011, 2012, you know, right before the conference championships and things of that nature, but the tail end of my career, the things that we were able to do, we didn't necessarily have the the depth of elite skill players mm -hmm. that they did in 13, 14, and 15, but we did have really, really good offensive lines. Right. And he was not afraid and he was not bashful about saying the reason that we were successful is because we were able to run the ball consistently downhill and move people out of the way. And that's what allowed us to start having success against the blue bloods of, you know, the OUs, the Texas and, and teams like that. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, and that was kind of, you know, that's a, a perfect segue to my first question, but you know, you look at kind of your time at Baylor and, and obviously, you know, Bryles is an offensive genius. And, and you look at, you look at your time there between the, you know, years, 2007, 2011, you had a couple, you know, a couple lean years there where, you know, three and nine, four and eight, um, before turning it around did you guys know and this is kind of a two-part question so i'll give you i'll give you the first part first um did you guys know as players could you guys sort of see from Bryles and everything you were doing like oh you know this is about to this is about to blow up and be huge here could you guys kind of tell that as players absolutely so we um i'll never forget and i've i've told a couple of coaches this story but i'll never forget the first kind of the aha moment and it was January 2008 and it was our first workout with with Kaz Kazadi and it was we we spent over 40 minutes going through some turf work and and stretching and calisthenics and things and then he started talking to us and everybody just kind of naturally started making their way towards the weight room and he said hold up what are y'all doing that was just the warm up and so that right there was just a, a small like oh Oh, we're, we're dealing with pros now. Yeah. And you know, 2008 was, was a growing period. You know, Robert didn't start the first game. He was still just a true freshman and we were still, we knew that something was going to happen. We just didn't know how long it would 
take. 2009 really seemed like it was going to be our breakout year. And then second game of the season, Robert tears his ACL. Right. And then in the, the very next week, um, our senior backup quarterback hurts his shoulder. So now we go to another true freshman quarterback. And, you know, Robert was going to be good enough athletically to kind of hide some of the pieces that weren't exactly what Coach Browles wanted from a recruiting standpoint in those positions. Right. Um, but then with those two injuries in back-to-back weeks, you know, we were fighting tooth and nail and they were getting really creative, but there were just some things that we were limited on, but everybody could tell that, you know, when 10 comes back and gets under center, this thing's going to roll because right. it's, we saw more and more guys that 2009 year we had, we were coming off of a four and eight season and Robert gets hurt, but we played a ton of true freshmen who were a bunch of raw talented kids from random schools all over the state and we knew that that experience through a rough year was just going to allow us to really explode onto the scene like we did in 2010. Right. And I, and I remember, you know, I'm obviously I'm a big, I'm a big football fan and, and me being from the state of Illinois, I remember watching that Alamo bowl against U of I. Um, I can't No, not the, that wasn't the Alamo bowl. That was, uh, or maybe it was the Alamo bowl, but then it I was, remember it was the Texas bowl, Texas bowl. And then I think it was the next year. Uh, and I can't remember for the life. It's just, I'm showing my age and my memory now. Um, I can't remember for the life of me who you guys played, but it was, it, you guys had, it was like a 60 to 50 something bowl game. I think that might've been the Alamo bowl or the holiday bowl. Um, that one was just, I remember watching that and being like, Holy cow, these guys are like, these guys are legit. They can score whenever they want to score the foot, the, you know, a, a touchdown. So um, that was, that was kind of cool watching that. And um, you know, I've always, I was always, I was always a Bryles fan, just being a, you know, making him being that kind of the high school guy making that jump, you know, that was, that was always something that was kind of intriguing to me um, in, in kind of his, his career, obviously, you know, he's, I, I say what you want. I'm sure he's, you know, there's, there's people that love him. There's people that hate him, but that, you know, we're not here for that, but he was always just somebody that I was always impressed by with just the way he, his, his, his football mindset, if you will, you know, his X's and O's about everything that um, making that jump, you know, that's not everybody can do that. And he was a guy that did it and was definitely obviously successful in that, in that jump. Yeah. And he, you know, he really showed his, you know, I was lucky. I grew up in a town that, you know, back then was small enough to where, you know, he really kind of made his name in Stephenville. Yeah. So right. West Texas town, you know, they won four state championships in the nineties. Um, and, you know, that's a lot for a, for a 4A school, which is this at the time was the second biggest classification in the state. Um, and we were close enough to where my hometown at the time during that 90s run was in the same district as Stephenville. So I got to see a lot of that and, right. and hearing him reflect on a lot of that stuff. When he first got there, Stephenville was bad. Historically, it had been a decent program, but at the time was bad. Mm-hmm. And he was coming from a split back veer background and you know, there was just kind of this turning point where you look around, and you're like, okay, but the guys we got and the things that we're trying to do, it ain't working. Right. And so keeping some of the fundamentals and the foundations of that, he's, that's where the creativity, I think you really started to see blossom. And it's something that he's taken with him at every single stop. It's been principled in a lot of the same ideas, but it grows and it manifests a little bit at each stop. And you even saw that this past year at Mount Vernon, he takes it over a team that, you know, was like two and eight the year before he got there goes third round first year and then loses in the semis on a, on a heartbreaker drive to the eventual state champion this year. And, you know, his ability to, I I always talked about when I got into coaching, 
you know, I want to be a guy that you don't try and put the square peg in the round hole. You got to adapt to the kids that you have, especially at the high school level, because you can't, you know, we can't recruit. Right. And I think he's the definition of that. And that's one of the biggest things I've really tried to take away from the years I got to spend playing for him, watching and learning. And when I reflect back and, and read over notes and things that I might have kept or, or talk about things with guys that, you know, former teammates, you know, that's kind of the things that I try and pull and, and take away is how can I apply that to what I'm doing? Right. And that's kind of, you know, again, perfect segue. You're, you're good at this coach. Um, was that something when, when you were a player was, did you know at that time, like, Hey, I, I think I want to get into this, into this field and, and be a coach. Was that something that you kind of always knew and, or was it something that as you kind of got along, you said, you know what, I can do this. And then you really started to take those notes and, and do those things. Like you just said, you did. I definitely, I'll, I'll be totally honest. I knew I, I loved the game and I knew that I could have a lot of fun coaching, mm-hmm. but when I made the decision to go to Baylor, walk on and the, the financial stipulations that come with that, I just flat out told myself, I had a conversation with my roommate freshman year, you know, I can't come here, get an education degree and justify paying this much money for that piece of paper. You know, I've got to go into the business school. I've got to do these things. I've got to, you know, I've got to meet the obligations that come with the end of this playing dream that I'm getting to realize. And my high school coach, my offense coordinator in high school, who was our receivers coach, he planted a seed when I was a senior saying, you know, I got hurt and he had put some onus on me to help some of the, you know, we had a young quarterback and weren't very experienced on the offensive side of the ball. And he kind of planted a seed. And then, you know, 2009, 2010, my position coach at Baylor starts putting a little bit more onus on me doing meetings, making cutups, asking my opinion on secondaries that we're about to play. Right. Mind you, I'm, I'm barely hanging on to the two deep, you know, trying <laughs> just sneaking onto the field on special teams. I'm surrounded by guys that, you know, my last year at Baylor, we had, I think the number got up to eight receivers that ended up playing at least a year in the NFL. Right. So, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm working my tail off, but I'm honestly at the end of the day, just happy to still be in the room because there was <laughs> a lot of talent around me. Right. But he started planting those seeds halfway through our, our senior, my senior season he gets an opportunity to go interview for a head job, kind of ball, you know, spitballs, throws around. What do you think? Would you want to be, would you be willing to do this? And that was really the first time that I was like, man, maybe I should. Right. Timing didn't work out. And so I thought that was like the sign of don't do it. So I actually went and worked in uh, the business world for a year. And there was just this aha moment of like, you're dying a little bit every day. Right. And that's what kind of pushed me over the edge of of that 11 and a half month journey in the business world not being fully fulfilled pushed me back into coaching and that's when I ended up at Tarleton right and yeah that's and then that's I mean that's truthfully that is not far off from a lot of guys who kind of I mean that was that was my experience you know I I loved the game and wanted to be involved with the game I didn't I just didn't know how and I can remember working, you know, I unfortunately took a little bit longer than you, but, but, you know, I worked in the business world and kind of bounced around. And then finally I went and started coaching at my high school. Um, and within the first hour, I was like, what the hell have I been wasting my time doing? Like, this is what I, sh- this is what I should be doing. This is where I should be because it just, it was comfortable. It clicked. Um, but it, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things where everybody's got that kind of different experience, different background, and it takes, 
you know, it takes something different for everybody to kind of realize what they should be doing, especially, especially in this, in this business and this, in this world of coaching and, you know, better late than never, I like to say. So, um, but you know, that, that, that's awesome that you had those guys really pushing you and really kind of seeing, seeing it in you, you know, even before you might've seen it in you, but so very cool. That's awesome. That's, uh, you know, do you still talk to those guys? I do. Um, my, my high school coach. Um, so we have a, we have a, a state level coaches clinic, right. we call it coaching school. We have it every summer and uh, you know, except for last summer it was virtual, but <laughs> we've, we usually at least there or at um, our state seven on seven tournament reconnect and, and stay in touch. He actually was, was one of the first potential opportunities I got to move into the high school ranks um, because he was transitioning out of that coordinator role into his first head coaching job. And, and he said, you know, if the opportunity presents itself and it's, you know, you feel like it's a good spot for you, would love to bring you on. So that was really awesome. And then yeah. coach Babers, my, uh, my position coaching college, um, I would say to this day, we still have a very good relationship. Um, obviously with him living, you know, in upstate New York, right. Um, and where he's bounced around, we haven't stayed in touch as much as, as I would have liked to, but, um, you know, we spent, uh, we spent some, some good years in the trenches together. So I would definitely say that, that, that relationship is, is kind of set in stone. Sure. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember, I remember, I mean, now that, you know, now I'm putting two and two together and I remember the he he was at Eastern uh, Illinois. And so I remember watching those guys and reading about, I mean, obviously the success he had there was, you know, phenomenal and boosting him to where he's at today. So yeah, now I'm, now I'm doing the math in my brain. So it's all making sense coach. Um, but, you know, uh, second question I've got for, you, you know, obviously you just spent this past season, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this past season as the offensive coordinator. And, and let's be honest, the 2020 football season was probably the, uh, the strangest in, in history uh, talk to me a little bit about the struggles you might've had, or, or, you know, the successes you guys had, uh, making that transition to offensive coordinator during the, uh, during the dreaded COVID times, uh, you know, just talk to me a little bit about that. So, yeah, definitely. Um, it was interesting for sure. Um, and I would say one of the things that really, I don't want to say hurt us, but it, it hindered my ability to, to learn on the fly, um, was just the limited access we had to our kids right you know we don't really we don't do spring ball like bigger schools or colleges do but we have track we're around the kids every day and losing those three months it became a lot of speculatory of you know who's going to be the guys that we can really lean on where where do we need to get them to fit to be successful um and although the kids were super invested and, and spent a lot of time on Zooms with us and, and were out there working on their own where they could and, and doing all of those things, not having that environment, it definitely made it to be, like I said, much more speculatory about what was going to be the best fit going into that week one. Limited with one scrimmage against a, a team that usually is pretty good but was having a down year and kind of reinventing themselves as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so you got a lot of false hope, didn't really understand, oh, this is working, this is not working. And it was more opponent based, you know, and not necessarily execution of scheme. Right. So the, the, that would probably be the biggest hindrance. But the thing for me personally, and I've had, you know, I talked to one of my buddies that works down in, at a Houston school. Um, 100%, the number one thing I took away from this year is that first time or young coordinators, if you don't have a staff around you that you wholeheartedly trust, right. 
it, you're going to struggle. And, and that's, you know, we always hear it and I know it, it can fall on deaf ears, but now experiencing it, it, it means so much more being surrounded by yes, men will not get you anywhere. It becomes right. so much more hurtful than helpful. You know, when, when we're in the third round of the playoffs and I call a play that my quarterback's coach is not comfortable with. I want him in my ear saying, what are you doing? Right. And we call a timeout. We talk about it. And once we are all on the same page, the kids go out there, they're confident. They execute. We score a touchdown. It's awesome. Right. But having a guy that's not afraid to question me. And then I trust wholeheartedly that when he's questioning me, it's legitimate and he's not doing it because he thinks he can do a better job. And, you know, having, a running backs coach and an offensive line coach who are so deeply invested into it that when I have a question, they're not going to try and sell me short that we're all working towards a common goal. And that if there's something in a game that I'm not seeing right, or we're not clicking on that, we can go get the whiteboard. Hey, how can we make our kids better at what we're trying to do? Or right. do we need to scrap this for the next three quarters? You know, if you can't trust those guys to give you wholehearted, honest feedback, it's going to be tough. And I was very, very fortunate that our offensive staff supported me and believed in me and was honest with me when when they needed when I needed them to be. And it allowed us to really find our footing and go on a late season run that carried us into December. Right. And, that, and that's such a good point, too. You know, a lot of times coaches sort of are especially younger coaches are maybe afraid to, to speak their mind or afraid to, to, to question things. But, you know, if you're going to, and like you said, if you're going to have a, why don't, don't just say coach, don't run that play. If you can't tell a, tell somebody, tell the coordinator, tell the, tell the play caller, why have that? Why? And it's, and it's great. You know, those are, those are the really successful coaching staffs and the successful programs where they can have that. And, and, you know, understand as a coach, like, Hey, the heat of the battle, things are going to get rough, but as soon as it's over, as soon as the game's over, like it's, it's done and over with, and we're not focusing on that um, because that's the kind of relationship you have. So it's awesome that you were able to get that with those guys uh, and, and not have, like you said, the yes men that are just going to say, yes, coach, yes, coach, yes, coach. And are going to kind of, you know, call your BS a little bit. If you're, if you're, you know, overconfident or if you think something's going to work that they see isn't or, or something like that. So that's, that's, those are special groups and those are special, special staffs that can handle that kind of, kind of, you know, criticism, I guess if you want to call it that. For so, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, coach, last question I've got for you, and this is the one I give to everybody again. Um, if you could put together uh, Mount Rushmore of offensive linemen from guys you've coached, uh, guys you've played with or guys that you were just a fan of uh, growing up or, you know, watching the game, who would be on that five-man offensive line? I will start with, with one of my former teammates and, um, and anybody that'll ever hear me talk about offensive line. This is the first name I bring up, but, but JD Walton, okay. um, you know, on a four and nine team with a true freshman quarterback, he was an all American center. Um, and he gets drafted by the Broncos and, you know, his career was riddled with some, some ankle problems and major surgeries and whatnot, but the most athletic offensive lineman, especially from an interior standpoint that I've ever seen mm -hmm. with my own eyes. And from that standpoint, it's just, it's one of those things where he could do things and he allowed coach Browles to be creative in in screen games and pass protections that 
you know, otherwise we, it would have hindered us a lot and we probably would have been two and 11 instead of, or, you know, right. uh, two and 10 instead of four and eight. So got to start at the center position with JD. Um, and from, from there putting me on the spot, but, um, <laughs> uh, I think that, and I just, of course, I just blanked on his name. Sure. Of course that, that, um, that always happens. Don't, you're not the only one. Don't worry. Uh, Former Denver Bronco Super Bowl champ. He's on t- Mark Schlereth. Oh, yeah. Okay. Stink. Yeah. So love Mark Schlereth. Um, loved him when he was with the Broncos when I was, you know, a kid who didn't know anything and just liked the color orange. And so the Broncos <laughs> were awesome, especially because they were winning. Uh, but going back and watching, you know, some of his old tapes, Schlereth was, he was nasty. And, oh, gosh. And in a great, in a great way. Um, and, you know, had a former teammate that ended up, landing with the Broncos and, and the Schlers kind of informally adopted him for a couple of years. And, and so I always felt like that was really cool from a Baylor standpoint as well. Yeah. Um, uh, Oh man, three more. It's going to be tough. I know um, this is, this is honestly, this is sometimes this is harder than like game preparation for state championships. I can't, you're, 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 you're not the only one though. Don't worry. I love it. Um, I would say that I'm trying to think there's there's another Big 12 guy that's um oh Adam Carricker from Nebraska when I was a high school Adam when I was in high school like my junior and senior year um I'm sorry that's defense alignment sorry um but so we'll jump back to Baylor so surreal Richardson was another really athletic interior guy. I okay. think he played um I think he played 2 years at tackle and 2 years at guard um before ending up with the uh with the Bills for a couple years. So, Surreal Richardson, stud athlete from he played he played his high school ball in my uh high school's district, so we were kind of rivals even though we were a couple years apart. Um but then uh and there's three. So, and I don't yeah. want to just get stuck in the big 12, but like, that's no, what yeah. I know. And that's, well, I mean, you, but you spent a lot of time, obviously you spent four or five years in the big 12. You saw those guys up close and personal. I mean, that was, there were some good dudes rolling through there. Every, every team, it seemed like, um, and there's still, I mean, shoot, there still is. You look at the big 12. Now they've always got offensive linemen getting drafted in the first round, you know, playing, playing early and often in the NFL. So it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a definite big conference for offensive linemen. I won't, I won't argue that. Um, I'll, uh, well, with that, with that vote of confidence, I'll stay there. Cause, uh, <laughs> Russell O'Kung at Oklahoma state, um, was just so athletic and long. Yeah. And, and Oklahoma, you know, it, it honestly hurts me to give Oklahoma state any kind of love because literally never beat them that we'd never beat them. That was our kryptonite for, you know, four or five years. Yeah. I think Coach Browse beat them twice while he was at Baylor. So it's hard for me to give them a compliment, but <laughs> Okung was just, he was so athletic. Yeah. Um, and then uh, this one's going to seem a little weird, but, you know, this was back when I was still in high school and, and Texas was kind of on that run of, of the bell cow and, and mm-hmm. kind of, really making a push. They went to the national championship, but Tony Hills was always a really cool story 
played offensive tackle, got recruited to, by Mac Brown as a tight end yep. and ended up uh, starting for them at offensive tackle. And I remember going into my senior year of high school, reading an article about his transition and his story and, and then getting to watch him play. And um, I was just always kind of enamored with, with those, with that tight end to tackle transition. And, you know, it's kind of like the whole like Prius effect. You, you never know how many Priuses are out there until you buy one and you see them <laughs> on every corner. Right. But after reading that story, it was like, that was, that had become a much more normal aspect of the, the offensive line play for newer, you know, spread offenses for lack right. of a better term, getting that maybe undersized or that little bit slow footed tight end and getting him to slide into that tackle position and, and just become super athletic and, and nailed down one of those corner spots. Yeah, no, I remember, I remember watching, um, cause that name actually the, the Tony Hills, you bring that up. I remember at one point when I was growing up, um, they used to release a long time ago, uh, a, like a street and Smith high school preview magazine. Um, and I remember reading about him in that and I was looking at it and it was like six, seven, two eighty tight end or something. And I was like, what the hell? Like there are people that big that play tight end. And then, you know, watching him, I think he did. I think I want to say at Texas, he played a season or two at tight end also. Um, mm-hmm. And then they transitioned to offensive tackle, but yeah, I always thought that was pretty cool. And, and, you know, before I knew really anything about coaching um, and anything about offensive line, just like seeing that guy and be like, Oh, he must be, you know, probably a pretty good offensive lineman then and you know I didn't know anything about length or or speed or athleticism at that spot so um, but that's cool yeah so no no, that's good I like the all big 10 group man coach that's uh, that'll work for us so uh, I appreciate that Um, but uh, coach that's all I got for you today man Um, I you know again thank you for coming on and 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 taking the time to talk with me today Um, you know I always like reaching out and and talking to coaches and kind of hearing their stories so uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. No, I appreciate you having me. You know, it's it's definitely something that it made this snowpocalypse we're dealing with. It gave me something <laughs> to look forward to for sure. So I appreciate you having me. Well, good. I appreciate that. Coach, uh, you know, best of luck coming up 2021. Um, hope you guys have a, a good spring, good summer and and uh, leading into the leading into the next fall. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll talk soon and, and, uh, and talk a little bit more football. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, coach. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you like and subscribe, and you can find previous episodes on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. 